Morning. Morning to all of you uh, in this room, those of you watching online this morning. Great to be with you. We are in the last sermon of part one, if you've been here for the last five Sundays as we launch the year in September, in this study in the book of Acts. You say, well, gee, are we all done? It's only chapter four. No, this is part one, and we're going to do Send Me, as Kelly just mentioned, and we will pick this back up, part two, in January. We have things going on as Christmas as well. But we're here at the, the first uh, four chapters, and the first four chapters, you might say, are the, you know, the groundwork, the, 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 the blueprint, maybe, of the dynamics of spiritual life. It's this, or it's almost like the starting of, a, I don't know, a business or a company. Of course, it's much bigger, the Church of Jesus Christ. And it goes for 30 years or so, the book of Acts. You see the first missionary journey, the second missionary journey, the third missionary journey. The whole sort of early church, all the way through the life of the apostles, is painted in this book. But you might say the core principles... The core ideas, the animating principles, the dynamics of a spiritual life, the dynamics of the church of Jesus Christ. If, if the church of Jesus Christ was an internal combustion engine, you know, this would be what it looks like on the inside, Acts 1 through 4. So we're taking some time on it. So this is what we're looking at, and we've looked in these five weeks. It's been a lot of strength to strength. You might say, you know, the spirit comes down, it's dynamic, it's powerful, people are speaking different languages, 3,000 are saved, 2 more thousand are saved. You see the apostles doing amazing things. These everyday people, for the most part, men and women, fishermen, God empowers them, they're speaking truth to power, amazing things are happening, strength to strength, until, we talked about this last Sunday, chapter 4, um, persecution happens. They run into a wall, which is people, the power people, so to speak, in this community. And in the perse- persecution hits the church, right? It's not the first, it's not the last time, it's the first time. It will happen again. But what we discover then and later in the study is the church actually, instead of that being a, a, something that causes the church to diminish, think about your own life, think about my own life, persecution, difficulty, hard times actually causes the church to grow. God uses difficulty. God uses opposition in the church, in my life, in your life, actually not to slow you down, but to deepen you and to help you grow. And what you see happen, I have one sort of subject this morning, what you see the church do after its first great persecution its two top leaders get thrown in jail, it's pretty serious, okay, with the threat of being killed, is they gather to pray, okay, it's my subject this morning, they gather to pray, and you actually see the prayer life of the early church, one of the dynamics of the spiritual life, you see it a number of times in the book of Acts. It's focused on, I'm sure the writer, Luke, is making a point. He knows through the Spirit of God, I'm tr- this isn't just a history lesson. I'm laying the groundwork. I'm laying the blueprint of the church of Jesus Christ. So he's telling us something. We, as we see the early church pray, we learn something about prayer. And in these verses we're going to read this morning, the end of Acts chapter 4, we have an example of how they prayed. I'm talking about the early church, your predecessors, mine. What they prayed about, so we should be thinking about our prayer life, and what resulted from their prayer. How did they pray? What did they pray about? And what were the results of their prayers? 
okay? The confidence in unity that we'll see in this passage is an obvious mark of the Spirit's presence in this community. We talked about this before. A community that normally wouldn't be together. A, a community that normally wouldn't hang together. A community for, because of their various backgrounds and differences and points of view. Maybe politics, maybe ethnicities, whatever the case may be. They come together and there's, there's amazing unity. There's an amazing confidence. And that unity and that confidence, there's only one explanation. The Holy Spirit of God. We've been talking about what does it mean to be spirit-filled. It's not just a a, a clever metaphor. It means God's power is in you and I share this with other people. There's a connection I have with other people that's deeper than anything else. I see them and I know them. They see me and they know me, okay? It's a sign, an obvious sign, a mark of the Spirit's presence. It, you might say, it's the central dynamic of the spiritual life. That's what we're talking about. What are the dynamics of the spiritual life? The most important one is prayer. So this one I look at this morning. How did they pray? What did they pray about? What was the results of their prayer? A prayer for great boldness. A prayer for great boldness. Follow along as I read these few verses, Acts 4, 23 to 30. On their release, that's a tie to the last episode, <laughs> which is John and Peter who were in prison the first persecution. Peter and John went back to their own people, that is the church, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, which was tough language if you were here last week. Keep your mouth shut. Stop talking about Jesus, etc. When they heard this, they, the plural, the church, it's like you and I gathered here in this room, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Okay? How did they pray? What did they pray about? What was their result? Sovereign Lord, there's the prayer begins, verse 24. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Quote, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one, from Psalm 2. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, wow, in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. This is a prayer? Wow, it sounds like a commentary. It sounds like an interpretation of history. Wow, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did. Talk about making meaning of history, making meaning of suffering. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a prayer. Okay? What is this prayer? What did they pray? What did they pray about? What did they ask for? What was the results? First thing you see in this passage is prayer, according to this passage, is responding to God. Now, what do I mean by that? Prayer is responding to God. Listen very carefully. In this prayer, now I just read eight verses, but seven of them are the prayer. 
Pretty short. Now, maybe it's longer, maybe it's edited, but for what we have right here, Luke is trying to say, if you want to know what prayer is, you want to know what the early church did when they got together, and this just wasn't a, you know, everyday gathering. This was a response to this great persecution. And this is their moment. What are they going to use this moment for that's recorded here? In this prayer, I find, maybe there's more, three Old Testament references Mentions the creation story, Genesis uh, chapter 1 and 2. Quotes directly from Psalm 2, which you find in the 26th verse. And he does this, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings rise up. He's trying to make sense of the suffering. He's saying, listen, I can freak out right now because suffering's happening. I can freak out because the apostles are in jail. I can freak out because maybe I'm next. But wait a minute, I'm going to go to the word of God and I'm going to make meaning in my prayer. I'm going to calm my heart. I'm going to settle my soul. I'm going to say, listen, this isn't anything unique because... You told us a thousand years ago in the second psalm that this was going to happen. And Herod and Pontius Pilate got together. He's making meaning of his suffering and settling his heart because three times the Old Testament is referenced. Multiple names of God are mentioned here. This is how the prayer starts. O sovereign Lord. That's not just a throwaway line. That's a huge concept, the sovereignty of God. He created everything. He's the creator. And twice in this passage, verse 27 and verse 30, he mentions your holy servant, Jesus. Now, you and I just think that's a, you know, just a clever way of talking about Jesus, but it isn't. The servant songs of Isaiah 42 to 53, they're the most important passages or some of the most important passages about the purpose of the Messiah. The servant songs, Jesus is the servant. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is this prayer, what do they pray about, right, is a prayer that's deeply informed by the word of God. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, What's his name, Um, Eugene Peterson, if you know the name Eugene Peterson, wonderful, uh, he just died a few years ago, but a pastor in Baltimore for many years, written a number of books, he's the one that penned the, the, the famous uh, message paraphrase, but many other books. He wrote a book on prayer, it was called Answering God, right? The title says it all, Answering God. And he said in his book that little children first learn to speak by hearing their parents speak. Think about those of you who have kids. Most of us can't remember our, our, our years one, two, three, and four, but his parents can. How do kids learn to speak? They learn to speak. Eventually they go to school. Eventually they do the ABCs, but they first learn by their hearing their parents or their older brothers and sisters speak. I, one of my earliest memories as a kid, I don't know when it was, but it would have to be under five years old, but I remember it. And I was in, it was a family gathering, aunts and uncles, and I blurted out this sentence, Right? And I remember when I blurted out, everybody laughed. It was amazing. And I remember thinking, wow, man. Maybe this was my call into ministry. I don't know. But I thought, that was powerful. A star is born, you know. And everyone in the room laughed. And then my mother took me aside. And she said, honey, there was a word that I used in that sentence. And she said, and it was a word I'd never, I had no idea what it meant. Probably my brother said it. And she said, 
honey, do, where did you hear that word? And I said what I said. And she said, that's not a word. That's a word that said it was a body part, okay? She said, that's a doctor's office word. And we don't say that word out loud in, pre in company, okay? Where do we first learn to speak? Kids learn the meaning of language and how to use that language by first being spoken to. What I'm saying to you guys is, what I'm learning from this prayer is, that's what happens to your prayer and my prayer, right? Because sometimes our prayers, they're kind of like my blurted out thing. They might be full of emotion, they might be full of something I've heard, but what do they mean? Where are they coming from? What you see this early church doing in seven verses, right? They're, they're getting deep. Oh, sovereign Lord, I'm going to start with God who is sovereign. They begin not with their own needs. I'm in trouble. I need this. I'm, uh, uh, help me get out of this jam. Is that how my prayer starts? Is that how your prayer starts? No. It begins with, oh, sovereign Lord. Okay? There's a mountain of theology. What does sovereignty mean? It's not my sermon this morning. But sovereign Lord, which is found all over the Old Testament, which was their Bible, and the New Testament, means that God is sovereign over all things. It means two things at least. That all dominion, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord and everything in it and all the people who live in it. That's the sovereignty of God. It says God's, as, as, as the great Dutch theologian uh, Kuiper said, God looks down from heaven on earth. He says every inch, square inch is mine. That's the sovereignty of God. Do you pray with understanding of the sovereignty of God that all dominion is God and that God has all authority? See, they did because their prayers were responding to God. They, they didn't start with their needs. They started with God. And that sovereign Lord, that dominion, that authority included the suffering and the injustice that was happening in this history. See, they could make sense of it. Oh, the nations rage. We understand that these things were supposed to happen. And they go from Psalm 2, which is talking about general um, opposition from, from, the, from the kings of the earth, and they say, we're going to apply it to our own day. In fact, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, they all got together and they strung Jesus up. But guess what? That was just what you said would happen to your holy servant Jesus. Isaiah 42. Am I making sense? Prayer is a response to God. Maybe the reason your prayers and my prayers don't make it past the ceiling is because our prayers really aren't informed by the word of God. In other words, if you really want to pray, you need to know your Bible. Does that make sense? That's what you see here in the early church. And the suffering of the early church did not drive them away from God. It drove them deeper into God because they didn't start with their problems, right? They didn't say, I can't believe in a God who would allow this to happen. Who would allow that to happen? Well, see, when you pray that way, you're starting with yourself. Well, that's why people don't get very far in their prayers. Maybe don't stay in church. They didn't, Start with their problems, but with the power of God, O oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. That's where I'm going to start. 
One pastor who I greatly admire said this about prayer. Quote, we heal our hearts by reminding ourselves of who he is and what he's done. You want, you want a sentence for prayer? There it is. We heal our own hearts by reminding ourselves of who he is and what he's done. Oh, sovereign Lord, your holy servant Jesus. It's all right there in those words. Do your prayers look like that? Do my prayers look like that? Prayer is responding to God. Second to the point of this sermon, prayer is asking God to do more. Okay? That's what I love about this prayer. Two times already, you'd have to have been here for the last five weeks, but two times already, in this account, the disciples were, quote, filled with the Spirit. Okay? That's, now, filled with the Spirit, is a, it's obviously a metaphor, and it's just talking about, it's not becoming a Christian. Oh, then I'm not a Christian. Become a Christian? Not a Christian. It's being filled with the Spirit is not becoming a Christian. Becoming a Christian is in response to personal faith in Jesus. We, many of us know this. And once you're a Christian, you know, even if your life is up and down, you're a Christian. It's not it's because it's not, you're not a Christian because of what you do. You're a Christian about what, because of what he has done for you. That is, he died and rose from the dead. Okay? But what the filling of the Spirit is, is a constant opportunity to, have, to, be, to defer to God and have his, you know, as Romans says, you know, we, 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 we say no to sin. We, oh, we say yes to God. We constantly are surrendering our hearts and minds to God. And as we do that, the Spirit of God comes and takes greater control in our lives. Okay? This is what we call the spilling of the Spirit. So what we're saying is here, in, the, in this narrative already, the disciples were filled with the Spirit, resulting in, just in the last few chapters, a miraculous healing, Acts 3. Literally, a guy like me, right, Peter, John, they went up and they said, Jesus did it, stand on your feet, and they did. Okay, filling of the Spirit. Not only did they see miraculous healing, but bold proclamation of the gospel, Acts chapter 2, again in Acts chapter 4, in the face of threat. Great things had happened, yet they still believed, verse 29, that God wanted to do more. Okay? This is, so I asked myself this question as an individual and even as the pastor of a church. Prayer is asking God to do more. Are you asking God to do more in your life? Right? To do more through your life. That's what this prayer is about. If you were here last Sunday, I had a friend of mine here, pastor from Kosovo, Gan, his wife, Adile. And I've known them just for a couple years, but we had a long, you know, what do you do with friends from out of town? We went to Niagara Falls and back, you know, <laughs> something to do. And, uh, and, but that was, gave us three hours to have a long conversation. And all I knew some of his testimony, I didn't know it all. And most of you, if you've listened to me a time or two, know that the war in Kosovo, which happened in the year 2000, that's what opened things up completely Muslim country prior to that. But Ghani and his wife actually became Christians about a decade earlier, late, late 80s, in 89, 90. And they became a Christian. How did they find the Christian faith in this largely, exclusively Muslim country? Because some missionaries came in, this case from, I think, Britain, and the reason they even came to Kosovo, I learned some of this, was really because they wanted to go to Albania, but they, they came to Kosovo because it was more open politically so they could learn the Albanian language. They weren't even there to reach the Kosovar, so to speak. They wanted to go to Albania because if, if you know your history, Albania 
from 1946 all the way to 1992, right, was as closed as communist China. No one in Kosovo, no one in South Central Europe, no one in Greece, no one in Macedonia, no one in Hungary, right around the countries of Albania, had ever been to Albania. You couldn't go in there. It was like going to the moon in, in, in the second half of the 20th century. Now, but missionaries went there because there was sense that it was going to open, and it did open. And Ghani would talk about how when, when they first met this missionary, they became Christians through this missionary, and they would all go to the border. It was like going from the Pennsylvania border. And they would, that's how close it was. And they would just pray for the country of Albania. When it opened, the missionaries all said goodbye. They did what they, they learned Albanian to some degree. They went there, and then they said to Ghani, one of the few Christians they knew, and his wife, do you guys think you might want to come and, 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 and come to Albania? In other words, the Albanians are very open because although it's a Muslim country, it was historically, it's been communist for 50 years, and they're, they're hungry. And so Ghani said to his wife, he goes, she'll never want to do it, you know, he told me. And he went back to her and he said, um, Adili, uh, uh, Stephen, the missionary, wants to know if we might want to go. And he said, maybe take a year to pray about it. And she said, why don't we go now? And they left in three weeks because of their kids' school program. They left their jobs. I said, what did you guys do? For? They were both school teachers, educated, master's degree level school teachers. They left their job and they said, we always thought, one, they felt called by God, but we always thought that Albania, because they were ethnically Albanian, was the promised land. They'd grown up their whole lives, by now they're in their early 30s, they'd grown up their whole lives, like all their friends and parents and grandparents, they could never go to Albania. Even though it was as close as Pennsylvania is to New York, they could not go in. And they had this idea. They said, we thought it was the promised land, like going to the homeland. When they got there, they were greatly surprised. They said, Albania was poorer than Kosovo. It was unbelievably difficult when we got there. This is a picture he sent me when they were lived there. Uh, when they first moved there, he and his kids, I think one of his kids is missing, didn't have his kid yet. And he said, we lived in this place, um, one room we lived. And I said to him, what was it like? And he said this, I asked him, even since he left here, because I was told him I was talking about prayer, he said this to me, sent this to me. You can imagine how we prayed then, Rob. New believers with little knowledge of how to pray and with a little prayer vocabulary. All he had was a copy of the New Testament in his language. I can say that our faith, that God would answer in his time, I can say that our faith, that God would answer in his time and way was greater than our words but we really did not know exactly how God would answer. We prayed like children without knowing what to expect. We were not sure if we knew what we were doing. Now we know that he knew what he was doing. You know what's interesting? They got there. It was not what they thought. But he said, this is what, I said, what happened? During the years of communism, praying, asking God to do more, there was one mission organization called Trans World Radio back in the old communist days. And they would share the gospel on radio in countries that were closed. Well, now the country's open. And so Ghani and his missionary friend, Trans World Radio, contacted them and said, listen, you're in Toronto, Albania. You're starting a church. People have been sending in prayer requests for years. 
in Trans World Radio to us secretly. Here's, they gave them hundreds of names and addresses. They said they sat down after they prayed these prayers like children and they wrote invitations and said, kind of use it, Sunday, such and such a Sunday, we're meeting at the rented room, you know, the, the X room. If anybody wants to come, he said the first Sunday, 200 people showed up. This is a mega church in Albania. And the church of Jesus Christ was born, right? Because they were willing to pray and ask God to do more. Do you believe, my question to me, to you, God wants to do more in your life, in the life of our church? James 4.2, you do not have because you do not ask God, right? That's what James said. If you read the whole passage, he goes, you're, you're asking for small things. You're starting with yourself. You're, give me, I need a little help here. I need a little uh, pick up here, right? We're praying like little kids are praying. You do not ask, you do not have because you do not ask God, O sovereign Lord, okay? Your prayers are uninformed. Start praying the Bible and see what God will do. C.S. Lewis, famous quote from his sermon, which became a book uh, titled um, The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Okay? Prayer is answering God. You have to start by knowing who he is. Right? Oh, sovereign Lord, maker of heaven and earth. My suffering shouldn't be a surprise. I knew this was coming. The, king, the kingdoms of the earth, the, the, the kings of the earth rage against the Lord and against his Christ. And even Herod and even the Gentiles and even the Israelites, they conspired to do what your will and your plan had already decided to do. Oh, there's nothing here to worry about. And as you were sovereign in the suffering of Jesus, good night, you're sovereign in my suffering. Now, oppressed, precious Lord, we pray that you would do something even more amazing. Stretch out your hand and do wonders and miracles, right, in the lives of our situation. Verse 29, stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs to your holy servant Jesus. Prayer is answering God. Prayer is asking God to do big things. Finally, prayer is accessing God's power. That's what prayer is, right? It's only one verse. It's answered in the final verse. It's, and where's what you see in the final verse? It's not a prayer for protection. It's what I might do. God, help me. The disciples are in jail. Help me. Help me get out of this mess. I need a way out. Give me an escape route. It's not a prayer for protection. It's not a prayer for escape. It's a prayer for courage. Verse 31, after they prayed, this prayer, okay, seven verses. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. 
Same thing that kind of happened in Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Shaken. What does shaken mean? It clearly means in the Bible's uh, uh, story, in the, in, the, in the narrative of the Bible, it means the presence of God has shown up. Remember Isaiah, if you know that story? The, 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 the pillars of the temple were shaking. It's the presence of God. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and here we go again, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Does that mean they became Christians? No. John and Peter, they were Christians. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had a fresh infusion of power. And they bent spoons. No, you know. They walked, no. They spoke the word of God boldly. That's what they needed. Right? That's what they needed. They needed inner strength. They needed moral courage. That's what I need. We're not praying for the right things because we don't really know who we're praying to. Right? They prayed, were filled with the Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. Let me say this, and I'm done. Such boldness, filled with the Spirit, it's not a moral virtue. Right? We don't get there Step by step by step by step by step, right? In this case. It's not a moral virtue. It's a divine gift. Which, by the way, is why our lives, our experience with God's power is often uneven. Right? It's often uneven. We can be bold in one context. I can be bold in one context and very intimidated in another. And sometimes that's, that's disconcerting. Right? But it, so it's, it's both discouraging but it's also encouraging because a couple things. Number one, you were not made to live on a mountaintop. Sometimes you meet Christians like this and they're either naive or not honest. That was never meant to, you're not supposed to live on a mountaintop always full of power and joy. That's not the way life is lived. That's not the way the Christian life is lived. It's, it's, we're constantly in a place of of being challenged and discouraged, dealing with suffering, coming into the word of God and praying, but we, are, we have opportunity. What the book of Acts shows us is a vision of what can be. We can access the spirit of God. They can be filled with the spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly, which means we need to regularly seek God's enabling, right? Acts shows us what's possible, there is a real power, a level of spirituality that is available to you, that is available to me for boldness in your life if you have eyes to see it, right? You don't live that way every day. But the more you and I get to know God, we get to pray as an act of response, we get the courage and the vision. There's a theological vision here if you read this. They begin to see what God can do what God has done in the past and what God is doing in the present. He interprets his own present. You know, this now it makes sense to me. I, th I was ready to freak out. But the Gentiles and Herod and some of Israel, they conspired together. But this was all, guys, don't rush past this verse. All what you had planned and determined. Wow. So that's true in my life too. Yes, it is. So God, this is what I'm asking for right now. My life has fallen apart here. I ran into a wall here. I'm not sure what's going on here. But what I'm saying to you is I need a fresh infusion of your spirit right now. Give me, help, help me to go through what you've put forth in my life that I might have a sense of moral courage and strength 
to open my mind, to open my heart, to be what you called me to do. And this is the vision of prayer that you have here. And it's something, guys, that we should be doing, not only in our lives, but in our church. Back to what Kelly said a few minutes ago. That's what we want to do next Sunday night, right? Next Sunday night's not going to be about, we sh- you and I should pray for our jobs, our promotions, our sick friends. We're not going to do that next Sunday night. We're going to pray for God to do something more in our church. Let's, let's, have some, let's, let's see what, what God might do if we have the courage to ask God to do more. Let me end with some prayers. I just want to show you this. Show you how this is. I'm, I'm just, this is just a quick, some prayers that can help you and I inspire us to do what you see the writers doing here. I'm just going to go over these really quickly. They just, I didn't take a lot of time doing this because it was an easy exercise. But I'm thinking, where do I see this illustrated in the Bible? The, the Jacob, what a character. Oh my goodness, you don't want your daughter marrying this guy probably. But, but you know what? It shows you what God can do, right? He, he gets after all this mess. He's about to have the hardest conversation of his life, if you know the story. He, he, he double-crossed his brother and ran off and, and didn't see him for 20 years. And now he's going to face the music. And he wrestles with this stranger who turns out to be uh, the, an angel of the Lord. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I love that prayer. You say, well, did he get his act together? Did he iron out his wrinkles? No. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's a bold prayer. How about Moses? Oh, boy. You talk about a guy. Uh, Elie Wiesel, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature, wrote the book Night. He was a teenager in the, in the Holocaust death camps, and he's a great man. He died not too long ago, 10, 12 years ago. But he wrote a book, and he said this about Moses. He says, Moses was the greatest leader that ever lived, but he never had a good day. Isn't that something? <laughs> Poor Moses. You gave me all these two million people. They moan and groan. They're the, they're the most complaining group of people I've ever met. And he says, I can't go forward unless you give me something more. Show me your glory. What a great prayer, huh? in a different, bold prayer. How about Hannah? Don't you love her? Uh, One of the great women of the Bible. Lord Almighty, look on my misery and give me a son. Do you know that story? Her husband had two sons and wife number one had all these kids and all was well and every day she had to look and she said, give, look on my misery and give me a son. Isn't that a great prayer? You know what? He gave her one. His name is Samuel. Two books of the Bible are named after him. Not bad. Nehemiah, one of the great books of the Bible. Here's a guy that is trying to do a simple task of building a wall, and he gets all this favor from the Gentile kings, Persian kings, all the enemies of Israel give him all the favor and the money. And the, the Israelites, some who live there, who they become his constant source of frustration. He's got to literally, this is what they're doing if you're reading the book of Nehemiah. He has a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And this is how he has to do his work. And, they, and he says, God, the, one of my favorite prayers, strengthen my hands. Not get me out of here. Now, why did you ask me to do this? Why am I here? No, strengthen my hands. What a great prayer. Help me overcome my unbelief. What a beautiful prayer. The man with the, the uh, paralyzed child. 
Jesus says, listen, Jesus is so cool. Believe and you can, it's all yours. All you need to do is believe. And this guy's going, what? Believe what? How? I don't know how to believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that a great prayer? Jesus did it. Finally, open the eyes of my heart, one of Paul's great prayer, that I might know my calling. Right? Prayer of Paul's. So stand to your feet. I want to I end with a prayer. Um, pray for you all. Pray for us. Let's do this by example. It's not Ephesians 1, it's Ephesians 3. But I'm going to pray this prayer for us as a congregation. Um, maybe a warm-up, Kelly, to next Sunday night. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how high, wide, and long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you, that we, I'm sorry, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work in us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 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 Have a great Sunday.